John Edwards admitted it, no one denies that the money was paid um, or that who it came from, how much it was, and where it went to, which is typical in white-collar cases. You don't argue about the facts. Everyone concedes the facts. It's what was the intent. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us. I'm Craig Williams from a overcast Southern California today. My co-host Bob Ambrosi is in court. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. And at this point, we'd like to take time to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law, and Firm Manager from LexisNexis at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Former presidential candidate John Edwards was recently indicted by a federal grand jury on six counts, including conspiracy, issuing false statements, and violating campaign contribution laws. This indictment centers around whether Edwards misused up to $1 million in presidential campaign contributions allegedly made by Fred Barron, who chaired Edwards' fundraising committee, and Rachel Bunny Mellon to cover up his affair with former aide Real Hunter during Edwards' 2008 presidential bid. John Edwards has denied any knowledge of these payments. And here's what John Edwards has had to say, which has been taken from outside the North Carolina courthouse. There's no question that I've done wrong, and I take full responsibility for having done wrong. And I will regret for the rest of my life the pain and the harm that I've caused to others. But I did not break the law, and I never, ever thought I was breaking the law. Thank you all very much. Well, Edwards' defense team argues that Edwards' actions are unacceptable, but not a crime. Edwards' attorney, Gregory Craig, released a statement. The government's theory is wrong on the facts and wrong on the law. It is novel and untested. There is no civil or criminal precedent for such a prosecution. The government originally investigated allegations that Senator Edwards' campaign funds were misused, but continued its pursuit even after finding that not one penny from the Edwards campaign was involved. The Justice Department has wasted millions of dollars and thousands of hours on a matter, more appropriately, a topic for the Federal Election Commission to consider, not a criminal court. So the question that we're going to be talking about today is whether John Edwards broke the law. We're going to try to address that question with some of the issues surrounding it. Our first guest is Peter J. Henning. He is a professor at Wayne State University Law School, where he focuses on white-collar crime, corporate and securities law, and legal ethics. Before teaching, he worked at the Security and Exchange Commission's Enforcement Division and then as a prosecutor at the Justice Department. Professor Henning is also the author of The Prosecution and Defense of Public Corruption, The Law and Legal Strategies. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Peter. Thank you for having me, Craig. And our next guest is Professor Richard Hassan. He's a nationally recognized expert in election law and campaign finance regulation. Now from the University of California, Irvine School of Law. His op-eds and commentaries have appeared many publications, including the New York Times, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, and Slate. 
He also writes the widely popular blog, Election Law Blog, which can be found at electionlawblog.org. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Rick. It's my pleasure. Well, Rick, let's start with you. Let's take a look at these charges and, and against John Edwards and the alleged abuse against the campaign finance system. Can you kind of outline what the, what the substantive issues are here? Well, uh, if we believe the facts of the indictment, the uh, case is based on uh, just uh, a, a few key points. Uh, apparently, uh, Mellon and Barron, who were longtime friends and supporters of John Edwards, uh, gave collectively about $925,000, uh, and this money was used to support um, Edwards uh, while he was having the affair with Riley Hunter. Uh, it paid for things like uh, private jets and stays at nice hotels. Uh, and then uh, the money was also used, apparently, to support Hunter and um, the child that Edwards and Hunter had together. Uh, the Edwards camp doesn't seem to deny that these payments were made. And the question uh, that raises the legal uh, issue is whether or not these payments constituted campaign contributions, which uh, needed to be reported to the Federal Election Commission, and which, if they counted as campaign contributions, would be illegal because at the time, a contributor could give only $2,300 to Edwards' campaign at this point, Edwards was trying to run uh, for president to get the Democratic nomination. These amounts were well in excess of $2,300 from each uh, of these two, uh, from Mellon and Barron. And so the question is uh, whether they count as campaign contributions. If they do, there's a charge of accepting excessive contributions, a charge of conspiracy, and a charge of filing false statements with the Federal Election Commission, all coming out of the same conduct. If they were not campaign contributions, then John Edwards, as he said, he may have done something morally wrong, but it is not uh, a criminal violation, at least of these uh, statutes. And Peter, what are your thoughts? Well, um, what this is going to come down to, I mean, the first step here is going to be a defense motion to dismiss on the legal issue that Rick had identified, that if these aren't campaign contributions, if they don't come within that legal definition of a contribution, then the case is over. It's it's out of court because, as uh, the former senator said, he didn't break the law. If the uh, trial judge does not dismiss, then the case heads to trial, and I suspect uh, Mr. Edwards turned down plea offers, so sounds like this case will go to trial. And then it becomes really a fight about the second part of his statement, which was when he said he never thought he was violating the law. And what the government has to prove in this case for a criminal violation is that he uh, knowingly and willfully violated the law. And that'll be interesting to uh, see how the district court interprets that term willfully. It could interpret it to require a very high level of proof of intent, which would give him that ignorance defense. So you can see he's going to first fight it on the law, and then he's going to fight this on the facts. What about the home court advantage? Is that going to be of any benefit to Senator Edwards? Well, it certainly will give him uh, at least a bit of an advantage that you have here. The prosecutors are also from North Carolina, but you also have the public integrity section out of Washington, D.C. So you'll have D.C. lawyers going up against a local, um, at one time popular official, although I, you know, I wonder how uh, Mr. Edwards' popularity is faring at this point in time. Um, as he admitted, he did wrong, and I don't know if he will be particularly well-regarded by the jury, but 
you could get a little bit of a home court advantage, although I really think this is going to be more a fight about, um, if it gets to trial, about what he knew and um, it, whether his argument about the lack of knowledge is a plausible one. Rick, is uh, his wife's death and uh, his untimely death and, and this affair going to play into the government's case? Well, I think that they uh, the um, the whole uh, moral issue around this uh, has two roles to play in the case. One role is that uh, if this case gets uh, to a jury, it's going to be very hard to find a jury that doesn't look uh, with some uh, uh, moral approbation at at uh, Mr. Edwards. After all, he was having an affair uh, while his wife was struggling with uh, cancer. He lied about it repeatedly on national television, denied he had a, this baby, had his aide claim that uh, the baby was, was uh, belonged to the aides and not to Edwards. I mean, it just uh, comes across as a bad character. So if it gets to a jury, it's going to be a jury that is likely coming in not too favorably disposed to Mr. Edwards. But there's also a legal aspect to all of this. So uh, as Peter said, one of the key questions is whether or not uh, this uh, money was a contribution uh, and whether it benefited the campaign. And if you look at the indictment, the indictment talks about how Edwards ran his campaign as a devoted family man. And the idea seems to be that the reason that Mellon and Barron would give this money and the reason that Edwards would accept the money would be to keep uh, Hunter and the affair quiet and to keep the uh, family man reputation intact. And so uh, that whole question of why he might have a need to hide something and how that might hurt his chances to get the presidential nomination could play into the uh, both the legal and factual issues in the case. Peter, is this more of a moral issue or ethical issue or more of a legal issue? And, and where do we draw that line? Uh, well, I mean, certainly um, you know, the government has put this all in the indictment, the um, rather tawdry details of the relationship with Ms. Hunter, um, because I mean, they have to build their case that this was, that, that the money that was paid was for um, his presidential campaign and not simply to cover up an affair. And of course, there have been some talk of, look, that even if he hadn't been running for president, he would have tried to keep the affair quiet. Um, that's probably true, but that doesn't play into what uh, Mr. Barron and Ms. Mellon uh, did and why they gave the money. And that will be uh, part of this that's going to come out is why are they giving the money? What is their motivation for it? And so you, is it morality? Well, certainly morality plays a role in it. Um, the government's going to try to use that evidence to its advantage to the uh, extent that Mr. Edwards can deflect it or uh, try to make it less important. And I suspect the judge is going to be very careful with the government's evidence to say you're not going to overplay your hand here. Much like, you know, when you get a prosecution of a very wealthy defendant, courts are very careful to say, look, you can't use the defendant's wealth as evidence against him or her. I think the judge is going to have to exercise some care here if it gets to a trial. Do you see uh, any fallout for the Mellons in this circumstance? Well, the, the indictment is phrased very carefully. In fact, if you read the conspiracy count, um, you know the, the rule of thumb for federal conspiracy prosecutions is it takes two to tango. You've got to have two conspirators. Uh, that count only mentions one, Mr. Edwards. Now it says others known and unknown to the grand jury. Um, you know, they, the, 
I, prosecutors want to mention Mr. Barron and Ms. Mellon as uh, co-conspirators, but they have to be very careful with them because you don't want to paint these two as other bad guys because, frankly, I don't think they come across as bad guys. Mr. Barron died of cancer. Ms. Mellon's 100 years old. Um, these are not your classic bad guy co-conspirators. They also didn't want to mention Ms. Hunter as a co-conspirator. Um, you have a very odd conspiracy here with uh, apparently only one person kind of agreeing with others, maybe Andrew Young as aide. Um, you know, it, it, this is going to be a very interesting case to see how it plays out. Rick, will the defense be making some type of a, of a distinction between this was a, a donation or a, to help Edwards' campaign, or this was a gift to help John Edwards? Yeah, well, I think that is the key legal question. Uh, so uh, I think that there, there's both an objective and a subjective side to this. Objectively, I think that the uh, prosecution has to prove that these payments were, in fact, payments for uh, uh, a campaign payments that count as a campaign contribution under the law. And one of the things that the um, prosecution is apparently trying to do is to enlist uh, the help of federal election commissioners who can testify as to what the law is or what the law clearly was. That's pretty odd. Uh, You know, ordinarily, the question of what the law is is a question for uh, the judge. Uh, And it shows that one of the weaknesses in the case is that if you look at the relevant statutes and the FEC regulations, and you look at the FEC interpretations that come across in advisory opinions and enforcement actions, there are plausible arguments to be made on both sides as to whether objectively this counts as a uh, campaign contribution. If it's not a campaign contribution, what was it? It was a payment to benefit Edwards generally, to benefit his reputation so he could continue his anti-poverty work, so he could be a public figure, maybe run for office in the future. It has to be a payment that would have been made, and the government says this in the indictment, it would have to be a payment made irrespective of the candidacy for it not to be considered a contribution. Which brings up the subjective point. The subjective point is, was the law so clear that this was a contribution? Did Edwards know it? Was he, uh, did he have the intent, or was he at least willfully blind to, to this idea that he was taking illegal contributions? And so there's, there's uh, even if surviving a motion to dismiss, the court says this uh, does, in fact, constitute a campaign contribution, there is the question of showing his intent. And if the law was not clear at the time, and to me the law is not clear right now as to whether or not these count as contributions, it's hard to see how they show the requisite mental state for John Edwards on the subjective point of what he intended. Thus, the basis for the statement that said, from Edwards, that said, I didn't think I violated the law. That's right. Based on your knowledge of election law and campaign finance regulation, what do you think of Gregory Craig's statement, his lawyer, who said that there is essentially no precedent for this? This is an, a novel and untested theory. Is he right? Well, uh, it is novel uh, in the sense that uh, criminal prosecutions on this basis are uh, pretty rare uh, on this particular statute. I'm not aware of any other one. These kinds of issues have come up in civil uh, cases, uh, not exactly this uh, set of facts. But uh, so I think it's a stretch to say that it's, it's, it's completely novel. But it does create a lot of wrinkles. And I think if this went before the Federal Election Commission, it's not clear how they would come out. But the Federal Election Commission, if they were addressing this issue, they'd be responding to a civil complaint, and it would be done under the civil standard of proof, a preponderance, a more likely than not standard. It also might not be necessary to show that there was a 
uh, element of willfulness. Here we have a very different situation where it's a criminal prosecution. Edwards is facing a jail time for felonies, and just the burden is that much higher. And to the extent that they're going after him uh, in a criminal case, I think it is fair to say that this is unprecedented and novel. Well, Peter, based on your experience in the judicial department in the in the government, uh, is this the kind of thing that the government is, you know, they, of course, they've got the grand jury behind them issuing the indictment. Uh, are they trying to send a message? They really expect to get a conviction here? What's the What are they trying to accomplish? Well, I think there are a couple things going on here, one of which is um, there is a concern, I think, with the, um, what I would call the the expenditure side of campaigns. Um, most of the cases focus on both the civil and the, the very few criminal cases, uh, focus more on the the collection side or the uh, generating the, the campaign contributions. And you've seen, we've seen various cases, the bundling type cases, but um, this is a, a case that's really focusing on how the money was used and using that to prove that it was a campaign contribution. So in that sense, it's novel. And it's also a way for the Department of Justice to say, we're looking at not only how you gather the money, but also, at least to a degree, how you spend it. Uh, one of the players in this case from the government side is the public integrity section. And um, that section got quite a black eye a couple years ago in its prosecution of former Senator Ted Stevens from Alaska, in which he was convicted. And then uh, the government asked that that conviction be um, overturned because of uh, problems in what the government revealed, uh, its failure to reveal exculpatory information, uh, what's called Brady information. And so uh, that was a case that came out of the public integrity section. There's been an investigation of that section. And the section really came under a cloud. And so, you know, I I don't think anybody sat down and said, uh, you know, we need a case to uh, burnish our image, but this is a case that can burnish their image. So I think the government has taken an aggressive position. Is it wrong? Um, you know, I'm all, it's always interesting when you hear the defense lawyer saying, well, this is a novel, never seen before interpretation. Well, you know, this is the first time for everything. So, um, you know, it, it's a case that they have a chance of winning. Um, whether they will or not, we'll see. But um, certainly they have a chance at it. Let's take a look at the evidence. Uh, according to the po- Washington Post, if Edwards goes to trial, we understand that prosecutors could potentially use emails between Edwards and his former speechwriter, Wendy Button, as evidence of Edwards' knowledge of these payments. Uh, do you think those emails are enough to bring John Edwards down? And what other evidence does the government have that they've put out there? Well, the, it, it looks like it, certainly the, the emails are going to be helpful. Uh, they have the cooperation of Andrew Young, his former aide, um, and again, what what this case is going to come down to, and John Edwards admitted, it, no one denies that the money was paid, um, or that who it came from, how much it was, and where it went to, which is typical in white collar cases. You don't argue about the facts; everyone concedes the facts. It's what was the intent, and so for the government to build its case of intent knowingly and willfully, uh, it's going to need Andrew Young. Unfortunately, um, he's shown himself to be a liar. Um, and so he's definitely going to be subject to very extensive cross-examination. That's why they're going to want the emails um, from not only his former speechwriter, but anyone they can get to show his knowledge, to show that he knew he was skirting the law and trying to undermine that defense of, I didn't know, the, the ignorance defense. 
how far will that circumstantial evidence take the government? Um, if it gets to trial, that's really going to be the crucial question here. Well, gentlemen, it's time for us to take a quick break. When we return, we'll have much more on the Edwards indictment here on the Legal Talk Network. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them. The ability to get their work done from anywhere, whether it's at their office, at the courthouse, at home, or even if they're on vacation, they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done. Uh, The mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. With cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, your BlackBerry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing Uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. My co-host Bob Ambrosi is in court today. Our guests are Peter J. Henning, professor at Wayne State University Law School, and Professor Richard L. Hassan, nationally recognized expert in election law and campaign finance regulation from the University of California at Irvine School of Law. Well, 
Rick, what do you think about a plea deal here? Uh, do you think Edwards is going to try to cut some kind of a deal to a misdemeanor or a lesser included offense, or do you think he's just going to sit back and fight this thing? Well, the, uh, if you believe the press reports, I believe there was a report in the Raleigh News and Observer down in North Carolina, uh, Edwards was offered a chance to plead guilty to three misdemeanor charges. And that's, uh, it's significant that he turned them down, if that's true, because uh, what we had been hearing was that he did not want to plead guilty to a felony uh, because doing so would prevent him from being able to practice law in the future. Uh, now, uh, the offer of the misdemeanors was going to also require six months jail time, and that sounded like it was the deal breaker. But the fact that Edwards was willing to roll the dice here uh, after getting a relatively minor sentence, although six months in jail is still significant, uh, says that the uh, team led by uh, Gregory Craig has some confidence that this is not uh, going to go forward. I mean, I think that if, uh, as Peter said, if this thing survives the motion to dismiss, then a plea deal might make a lot of sense. I don't know that Edwards is going to want to go before a jury, even though he was an accomplished trial lawyer himself in the past. Uh, it uh, would seem risky, but uh, but they seem fairly confident now uh, what, by rejecting the misdemeanor plea offer. Well, let's take the far end side of that. Let that slippery slope go. Uh, if he loses, he's got up to 30 years in prison and a maximum fine of $1.5 million. Let's assume he loses. Where do you think that that's going to end up? Well, uh, if he loses uh, uh, in the trial court, I expect this can go through appeals for many years. I mean, this, this is a case that could, in fact, end up before the United States Supreme Court on uh, questions of campaign finance law and questions of intent. Uh, so I think the the legal team is girding for a major fight uh, on the Edwards side if it's necessary uh, to do that. Well, and, and Peter, as a prosecutor, do you do you want to face Edwards' defense team? Are they going to be tough to beat at trial? What's your estimation of their capabilities? Well, certainly the, uh, Gregory Craig and, and the others, I mean, they are well-regarded lawyers. It's going to be um, a, a major fight um, that the government is going to face at trial, not just the burden of proof, but they carry the baggage of their key cooperating witness, and Andrew Young, who had uh, lied along with Mr. Edwards about the affair. Um, they're going to try to build a circumstantial case. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I doubt um, the defense will allow Mr. Edwards to testify, although he may be desperate to do so. But um, if he does get to trial, I can't see them letting him get up on the witness stand and make this a case about his credibility. But I think Rick makes a good point, too, that um, if it gets past the motion to dismiss and the government can get a conviction, those are two very big ifs. If they can get there, that's the end of the beginning, because this will head then to the Fourth Circuit for an analysis, especially of that legal issue on whether it's a contribution. And I really could see the Supreme Court taking this case, um, that this is the kind of clean statutory issue that would allow the court to weigh in on an area of campaign finance law that it's shown a great deal of interest in, or at least that general topic being the campaign finance law. So, um, you know, we're talking about this case in 2011. We may well be talking about this case in 2015. Well, Rick, it's time to put you on the spot. You're the election campaign finance expert. What's your take on the law on this? Is Edwards guilty or not guilty? Well, we haven't seen all the evidence yet, and uh, I think it's telling that the uh, the leak to the um, 
AP about these additional emails, those emails didn't appear in the indictment. The email that appeared in the indictment was one from Mellon to Young. Uh, so I don't feel like I'm in a position to know if there's enough evidence on this question of Edward's subjective intent. But uh, but on the uh, the even the objective question, I think the law is murky. Uh, I think that you could create a plausible argument one way or the other as to whether or not these things should count as contributions. And that murkiness is what may end up saving Edwards at the end of the day. At the end of the day, I'd be very surprised uh, because of potential weakness on both the objective and subjective side if Edwards actually spends any time in jail, uh, unless uh, we see much more evidence come out than we've already seen in the indictment. Are we going to be holding Edwards to a higher standard on that murky law because he's a lawyer? Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, if it comes down to subjective intent, uh, he is somebody who would have a harder time pleading ignorance of the law, uh, even on a specific intent crime, than uh, a, a layperson who'd be before a jury. Peter, what's the fallout from this? Let's assume that Edwards gets convicted. Does Miss Hunter have to give the million dollars back? And if so, where does it go? Are the Mellons going to get punished for giving this money in violation of election campaign laws? What happens um, to that? I don't think we'll see Ms. Mellon... Um, I won't. I don't believe we'll see a case against her simply because there's just no upside for the government. Again, they, they've been very careful that they've made Edwards the bad guy, and everyone else has essentially gone along in his wake, acting out of a um, a good-hearted, if misguided, understanding of the law. And so, I don't think we'll see any fallout uh, for others. Miss um, Hunter is not going to have to repay any of the money. I can't see prosecutors pursuing any kind of criminal case, and I doubt the FEC would go after her. Again, she's more uh, collateral to all of this. I mean, the interesting thing will be um, you know, what the message is to other candidates. Um, you know, will we see candidates being uh, more careful, or will they simply look at this and say, you know, John Edwards was an idiot. Um, you know, I'm not going to have an affair with someone. I'm not going to father a child and try to hide it. And so Edwards is the outlier, and this is the extreme case. And as long as we stay inside the line of Edwards, we'll be fine. Um, this case may well set up the outer limit uh, for the incredibly stupid federal candidate. And We've seen some incredibly stupid things done by elected federal officials lately. But, um, you know, I... I I'm not sure ultimately how much impact this will have on the law, except for that issue of what is a contribution. And we could well get some uh, decisions out of that that will influence down the line other cases. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned other recent federal officials. We're, we're talking about Representative Weiner, who apparently uh, has a difficult time with a number of things. But one of the things I saw in the news this morning with respect to him is that 51 percent of the people in New York don't think that he should resign. Uh, and and how does this play the, the aspect of populist support? Uh, how does this play for Edwards? Are we going to see people in Edwards rallying behind him as a longtime public servant and man who brought a lot of money and jobs to the area, or are they going to punish him because of his treatment of his wife? Well, I, you know, from my point of view, that you know, as a um, in the criminal prosecution, I, you know, I, I, that will probably turn out to be a wash. That you will get uh, some people on the jury who view him more sympathetically, some less sympathetically. And so ultimately, 
you know, will it have any major impact on him? Um, the answer, I, I suspect, is no. I, I'm hopeful the judge will do a good job weeding people off of the jury who have extreme views. What it does do and what this case does, unfortunately, and it, it is unfair to the vast majority of elected officials, is they all get tainted by this or you know, they all get tainted by a foolish Twitter message that got sent out by a representative. Um, you know, the vast majority of them are good, hardworking elected officials, but um, you know, it, it only takes one or two, and now it, this now becomes a poster child for elected officials. Well, gentlemen, it's uh, time to wrap up and get your final thoughts. We've got just a few minutes left in the program. So, Rick, let's start with you to get your final thoughts as well as your contact information. Yeah, well, I would say that uh, I'd be surprised to see John Edwards actually sitting uh, before a jury. Uh, I think that it's more likely that we'll see this work its way through the courts for the next few years, which will be uh, agonizing for him, interesting uh, to watch uh, from afar. Uh, people who would like to contact me can go to the election law blog, electionlawblog.org, and my email and other contact information is available there. Great. Thank you very much, Rick, for being on the show today. And I've enjoyed it. Peter? Well, I, I, I agree with Rick. I, I don't expect to see uh, Mr. Edwards in jail. Um, uh, my guess is that the judge will find that this meets the legal definition of a uh, uh, of a contribution. I, that's just, I mean, that's again, that's purely a guess, but that it's close enough to being a contribution that the judge is going to allow it to go forward. And at that point, if it does go to trial, it's going to be very hard to convict him. Or I could also see him pleading. The government may well drop its demand for jail time and say, let's just leave it to the judge. And uh, perhaps Mr. Edwards would then plead out. So uh, certainly, you know, again, from afar, this issue of what is a contribution um, is really going to be an interesting one and will have an impact on campaign finance law down the road and also criminal prosecutions. And as far as anyone who would like to contact me, my email address uh, is peter.henning, H-E-N-N-I-N-G, at wayne, W-A-Y-N-E, dot E-D-U, and I'm easy to contact and I'm happy to respond. Great. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. We'd like to thank our two guests today, Peter Henning, professor at Wayne State University Law School, and Professor Richard Hassan, a nationally recognized expert in election law and campaign finance regulation from University of California, Irvine School of Law. For our listeners, remember now you can get all of your CLE credit through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to Select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all of our Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. We'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The 
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.